0: Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears people in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of the Indigenous Art Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region of the country. I want to introduce you to Migizi Pensaneu, McGizzie is a citizen of the Ponca Nation and the Red Lake Nations. He was born and raised in Minnesota and attended school at Westland University and received his MFA in screenwriting at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. McGizzie is a screenwriter, an actor, a writer, a producer for film and television. His works on Alias, Barkskins, Rutherford Falls, and Reservation Dogs is something that we're all very familiar with and that we really do enjoy. And he is also one of the founding members of the legendary comedy troupe the 1491s. In this conversation, we explore his influences and his story from the discovery of comedy and the joys of watching B-movies with his family and his brother and to the work that he's doing today. In editor's notes, this conversation was held before the writer strike that took place in the summer of 2023. So I do want to note that this conversation is not a promotion of that work uh, that we had previously mentioned but a conversation of his story. So, with that said, let's jump to this conversation with Meghizzi Pensano. So Meghizzi, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plane Questions. It's really great to have you here.
1: Heck yeah, man. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Uh, would you be able to introduce yourself? Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about your, your background, where you're from, and your story.
1: Sure. Uh, my name is Meghizzi Pensino. I am uh, Ponca and Ojibwe, um, Ponca from Oklahoma, Ponca, um, Southern Poncas, and Ojibwe from Northern Minnesota, meaning uh, my mom's from Red Lake, but our family, history of family all over um, the big three around Bemidji. We got family in White Earth and Leech Lake and Red Lake, um, all from Gurno side. So I'm a mix of those two, Ponca and Ojibwe, and um Yeah, I grew up. I was born in Minneapolis, uh, but I uh, only lived there until I was about eight, and then we moved back up north to Bemidji, and went to school at Boganagishik, and yeah, until I basically until I left, and I went to Bemidji High School for a little bit, but did not have the best time there. So, Um, yeah, yeah, man.
0: for For the listener, for the uninitiated, um, you are a, a producer, a writer a comedian, a performer. Um, can you talk right, a little bit about yeah, that? That's the other thing I
1: suppose I should talk about, what I do, what the hell I'm doing here. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I, I am uh, a writer and producer, uh, sometimes performer and actor. Um, currently, I'm the co-executive producer, or one of the co-executive producers on Reservation Dogs. Um, and we're going into production on season three right now, As a, <laughs> if you want to know where we're at in, in the world. And, um, but I've also, I've been doing this for a really long time, sort of off and on. It was, um, my first job writing TV was in 2005 and I was not quite 24, <laughs> 23 years old. And I got onto, uh, the show alias with Jennifer Garner. Um, and I wrote on that until from in season five, basically just closed out the final season. um, and so I've been doing this for a while, I've been at it for a minute, but, uh, you know, starting to sort of make my own name now. Um, and in, in between sort of those first early jobs and then now where I'm at, um, co founded with my brother and three other homies, uh, a comedy group called the 1491s. And we created, uh, over a hundred videos on, on the YouTubes and various other formats and, um, and I actually wanted to look back and see how many live shows we've done. We've done a, a ton of live shows for a long time. We we spent a long time touring around, um, you know, Indian country mostly, but also, you know, college campuses, different programs, whatever, kind of whoever would have us. Um, and we did that for a lot of years. Um, yeah, that's, but that's what I do. I just sort of I show up and I write things and I help produce things. And occasionally if I need to act, I will act, but um, it's not my, not my first love, not a thing I like to do.
0: <laughs> so, uh, along the way, um, uh, can you talk about uh, your biggest influences early on, and what's sort of driving you today, or who's driving you today?
1: Sure, man. Um, Size wise, Orson Welles. Just kidding. No, I, <laughs> biggest biggest influences. I think um, I don't know. It, it varies. So there's a lot of like I'm I'm made up of a lot of some really interesting people and influences who, who pointed me at a lot of different, a lot of different stuff. Um, so the first and foremost, my love has always been movies. Um, like I love reading. I love, you know, um, jumping into a, a good book, but especially like a fiction book, I didn't really get into any nonfiction, like either movies or books until I was like in my twenties. Um, but growing up, I read a lot of really random stuff that, was sort of assigned to me by my mom and dad. <laughs> so, um, my, my biological dad is the, the punk side of things. His name is Bill Pensano. He passed away in 2002. But, um, when I was a kid, he used to just like drill me into with, 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 um, the strangest movies and references that sort of came out of nowhere. Like a lot of, a lot of the like older stuff that I've seen, um, well, that's not fair. I mean, not, not most of it, but a lot. I mean, he it, could, it sort of split half and half um, with him and my mom in terms of like the older stuff that I've seen. Um, you know, like one of the examples that I sort of comes most easily to mind because it was sort of like one of the most surreal is um, he wanted to show me the movie Spartacus. And so we watched it and I liked it. And there were, it was clear there were some things that I didn't understand about it. I mean, I'm like nine or ten and he was like all right well here you go and he gave me books on the roman empire and then he basically had me study and like write little essays about what i, what I learned <laughs> <laughs> so in order to enjoy the entertainment aspects i had to learn all of the other stuff behind it and that's sort of been the um the approach i've always taken to like the the stuff that i consume there's um if there is like a comedy movie, I'll I'll do what I can to make sure that I understand all the jokes. Or if there is like you know a historical fiction, I'll read about the era, um, and it's really actually helped inform the way that I write my own stuff. Um, so I, you know, um, so on my dad's side, that influence is always it was sort of a lot of more erudite, <laughs> like, like sort of like I don't know, higher literature kind of thing and in, um, in history and all that and from my mom's side there's this um she is um well first she's just an incredible brain in and of herself and she um she is has sort of dedicated her life to anishinaabe thought and worldview and that has that, that was informed not just with like not just with like native authors, but I had a lot of those growing up. So it was, you know, whatever it was, um, a lot of, a lot of, you know, Custer died for Your sins, but it also grew up reading. There's no reason a kid should be probably reading, but I guess there is every reason a kid should be reading, but like uh pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freire and all this stuff. But also my mom is, is a person who likes, you know, weird schlocky fiction. And so there'd be the, you know, when I grew up, from her side, I also got a chance to see um, like all these like kung fu flicks and stuff. We used to do like, you know, double matinees in Minneapolis when I was a little, little kid, like going to see Bruce Lee movies and Jackie Chan flicks and whatever else. And so she, you know, a lot of that stuff came from her. Um, you know, weird B movies. I don't know why. Um, when I was uh, 12, um, well, that's not true. Remember, I mean, it was when I was like two. My, my mom and my dad had split, I think shortly after I was born. And when I was around the age of two, um, my mom hooked up with my stepdad, um, who is Dallas Goldtooth's dad, so Tom Goldtooth. And from him then going on from two, um, the other influences are just the weirdest movies you'd ever seen in your entire life. I and mean, he's the reason I've seen so many like B science fiction flicks. Like they you know, we would go to go to the video store and he'd be like, he'd have us pick stuff out and occasionally he knew because he knew I was sort of interested. I would see things that like sort of wouldn't otherwise see. He was like, Oh, you got to watch like apocalypse now or, you know, whatever else you got to see some like weird stuff. I mean, again, I would probably the age I was at, like I shouldn't have been watching apocalypse now, but, um, (laughs) but I was also, but he was also like, you know, uh, he would show me some interesting things. Like he's the one who showed me man who fell to earth with David Bowie and a bunch of other, just randomness. Um, but he also – there was always, like, some weird B science fiction movie tossed in the middle of the stuff. So it was, like, The Giver with Mark Hamill and shit. Or, like, you know, I um, uh, was it like, uh, I Come in Peace um, or Dark Angel, whatever. But it's got two titles. But I Come in Peace with Dark Angel with um, Dolph Lundgren and Brian Ben-Ben. I mean, these are weird movies that I had growing up that I'm just, like, there's no reason I like – I don't know. They weren't things that were necessarily things that I would probably pick up. And I sort of, when I was a kid, I thought they were cheesy as hell, but they became the things that I like grew up and st- I love. And, you know, they're, they're a huge part of like what's in for me. And then I don't know where necessarily all this stuff came from, but I no idea. There was, um, my mom had a book, which was, it was called why a duck <laughs> and it was like a, um, a photographic history of the Marx brothers. And from there I went through it and I was just, I would read Marx brothers jokes with this which is the weirdest thing along with like photo because I didn't, I couldn't find them in the local video stores, like the actual movies. And then finally, eventually I was able to um, see them when I was like in my early teens or like as a, you know, 10 or 11 year old. And I just like ate them up. So that became, um, I, I looked for it. That's why I like the Marx brothers more than, you know, other things that sort of, you know, came late Abbott and Costello or the, you know, um, Laurel and Hardy and all that stuff. They're not really my favorite. And especially the three stooges can't fucking stand them. But like the Marx brothers I love because I just, I had access to it really, really early. And then on top of that, of course it was all the, like, I don't know. I found an old beat up paperback copy of Lord of the Rings when I was a kid. And suddenly that got me into fantasy. Like I didn't, you know, Um, my my mom, (laughs) my, my mom like had that. And I'm like, where I, had no idea she had that my mom has by the way libraries of books like just you know around the house so that was the other thing I just sort of was able to get whatever I wanted um all of this stuff like in these formative years I I sort of stumbled across or somebody introduced me to because we you know growing up I was one of the last uh sort of kid generations without the internet and so all of this stuff came from like friends And, and friends knew that I liked movies and I liked you know whatever weird pop books and stuff like that. And so people would show me things and like, I was always open to like, people would be like, you want to watch a movie in the middle of the afternoon? I'm like, yeah. So we would like, you know, we were playing outside or something. And then suddenly somebody would be like, Oh, my dad has a copy of like Monty Python or whatever. And that's how, I, you know, sort of got introduced to like stuff like that. So it was like the, the influences came from a lot of different places, for, but mostly from like people who like brought them in and like showed them to me. So it's weird because, <clears throat> um, you know, and then one time I just got a box of VHS tapes from my uncle. And suddenly I had like all of these old, like Casablanca and just random bunch of old, you know, seven brides for seven sisters or seven brothers or whatever. And it was just like, a, you know, a really random assortment of like movies. So what's interesting about it is that on the, like, I'm not like a Tarantino-esque like film historian or anything. I didn't always have like a video store at my fingertips. Um, and you know that I'm like a movie buff cause I just love everything I've watched and I can sort of like recall a lot of the things that I've seen. Um, but there are definitely massive gaps in my, in my, like, I didn't watch like, uh, my, my girlfriend had to show me, um, a couple of the biggies that I've just, you know, like Cleopatra and Ben-Hur and shit like that. Cause I just never, there were never the things that were in my house. Nobody had ever bothered to show them to me until I was like in my thirties. Um, st- still don't think I've actually seen gone with the wind, maybe, you know, seen chunks of it, but like there, you know, there, so there are like biggies out there that I just have, don't have, but then, you know, there'll be weird little obscure movies that I got to see when I was like a, in my early teens or as a kid. And I'm like, that are, and I, to me, I'm like, Oh, you haven't seen this for real. Like, they're just a part of a big part of my life. And I guess that's how influences work. Um, but it's, so it sort of comes from everywhere, but the stuff that I always responded to and loved are the things that sort of, even if they were crap, even if they were just not good movies or books or whatever, if they had something in there that sort of surprised me or caught me off guard or made me go like, Oh, like I didn't, you know, that's, that was enough. That's something that I loved immediately. So like, you know, I think, um, um, I think my my girlfriend talks about how she put Lord of the Rings down after Gandalf falls into the chasm fighting the Balrog. I'm like, that's the one that kept me going. I'm like, Oh, didn't see that coming. Let's go. Um, so like anytime that there's something that sort of like catches me off guard, that's where I'm like, that's the, that's you, that's the good stuff. So, um, yeah, that's it. So it's sort of all over the place. The, 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 the answer to, to this sort of big question is sort of like, I mean, everything. There There's no like biggest influence. It's like, it's sort of a really wide smattering of like a lot of things. And one of the things that happens now is i'm able to sort of just like recall moments things that like things moments in movies that i love like one of the hardest questions for me is like what's your favorite movie and i'm like i don't really have one but i like i have like favorite moments in movies like things that have always stuck with me that um that move me in some way or always like even if i know the surprise is coming like they're they're things that i like i love to like watch over and over um you know and I was lucky enough because of the way that some of these came in like I was able to sort of discover things on my own um without sort of outside influence like I'd always heard that Casablanca was like a classic it was one of those things that I watched like by myself as like a, an 11 year old um in like my, my I had a tv and VCR set up in my basement and I would just like watch movies down there and this was that was one that I was just like I didn't know anything about how it was going to end or anything like that. I just like knew it was regarded as a classic and then watched it as, at a point in my life where it like really moved me. So that's one that I could probably watch again and again, just to be like, you know, cause you build to the, build to this fantastic ending. Um, and all of the moments that lead up to it are pretty fun. I mean, it drags a little bit, but whatever. Anyway, the point is like, so there, there aren't really, there aren't really like the, the big things that sort of influence there are like there are moments that i always go back to and that i love that i'm like i try to hit like a feeling when i'm doing my own writing my own producing that stuff there's always like it's never like oh i want to you know get the feeling of like this whole movie it's like now i remember when this character said this thing and the way that i felt watching that you know that's the kind of vibe that i want to go for in this particular scene or whatever so yeah
0: hmm. there you go that mirrors an experience that I've had growing up, you know, that, that discovery, I think I'm probably a shade older than you are. um, A light, a
1: light, light shade.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, that discovery of, you know, VHSs, you know, or watching uh, like Saturday afternoon movies. Cause I, I lived in St. Cloud as a kid and I don't, I don't know if it was WCCO or, or what it was, but they would have these B movie, the science fiction movies that were just completely off the wall. And, they'd run two or three of them during the afternoons and I would just watch them, you know, and mm-hmm. just fascinated with them. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so how about currently in today? What's, what are you, uh, what's really grabbing your attention that's out there? Um, television like, or film or,
1: Oh, I don't know. It's sort of the same thing as everything man. I Really? Like, I mean, lately the most, like, like everybody else in the country basically you've been watching the last of us, I really like, you know, it's. um, I haven't played the game. I really debated on it. I was like, man, I should play the game first, but I never got around to it. So everything in the story is a surprise, which is really, really great. (laughs) Um, I think uh, the. Woman King was pretty freaking fantastic. But I still love all the cheesy. I like cheesy, too. So, like, Bullet Train is something I watched on a plane <laughs> and I really, really enjoyed. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I, but I, I, you know, the 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 stuff, I just, like I said, I still just tend to sort of, like, consume and consume. And there are, there are little bits and little, little things, little moments here and there that I find in pretty much everything that I watch. Even the show, like um you on netflix with okay. ben Bashley? yeah i watched that and there, there are moments i'm like i spend most of the time going like oh this is fucking stupid this is so dumb and then you know whatever it might catch me and i'll be like actually this is entertaining as hell that's great <laughs> so like that's yeah that's that's kind of how it's kind of how i watch so there's never never really one thing i even watched them um, i never saw the original but i saw like the whatever reboot of pretty little liars they were doing recently (laughs) i was like this is one of the worst little worst little tv shows i've ever seen but it actually there there are parts in there that kind of made me like chuckle and you know i don't know um there's there's no there's no um nothing really that i watch because i know how hard it is to make things it's one of those things that like there's nothing that i really dislike I'm just like yeah man i'll watch this now if I, there is something that i don't really respond to then i might not i won't finish it like i think uh i really like the first season of handmaid's tale and then i watched two more seasons and every time it was like they kept trying to make up excuses for her not to be done with her story <laughs> and i'm like i I'm like, ah, just be done um so I'm, I'm over it i just can't i'm not gonna finish the show that's fine that's okay
0: that's fair that's okay. fair yeah. With, uh, the last of us coming up, I know Elaine miles, uh, she's going to be in an episode. I'm kind of excited about that. She was, nice. um, yeah. yeah uh, for the listener, uh, Marilyn from Northern exposure. So yeah, it's nice to see, um, you know, the actors that we grew up watching still here in new productions. And I'm pretty excited about that. So, yeah, that's awesome. So how has your career developed? I know we've kind of touched it on along the way. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, college, post-college, uh, how, how has it all gone?
1: Um, so it's a mix, man. Um, um, like anybody else went through highs and lows, uh, strikes and gutters as the dude says. Um, so I, uh, I got, so right out of high school, I went to Wesleyan university for like a year, a year and a half or something. And, uh, that's in Connecticut. It was fine. It was a film program that I knew a lot of people that I respected had gone to. And, uh, and I just didn't really have a great time outside of like socially made some great friends, but I didn't, you know, it wasn't anything. I I was not, everything felt too academic and I knew I wanted to get like, you know, hands-on experience um, doing, working in TV or movies or whatever. So I left with, um, in the dumbest way, because like everybody else around where I grew up, I didn't have any connections to work in TV or film or whatever anything else. So I just like took off and realized very quickly that I was out of work. Um, And I was not in school. So I wasn't getting any like tuition help or anything like that or money. So um, I started basically doing whatever jobs I could. Um, I laid block for a little while. I worked at movie theaters, you know, worked at the Amigo in Bemidji. Um, You know, I lived in St. Cloud for a little while myself. Did some telemarketing down there. Um, sold. Let's see. I sold Kirby vacuums and Cutco knives and basically everything under the sun. You can sort of like, you know, go door to door and sell. Um, <clears throat> I did a lot of telemarketing. That was those like, that was, it was probably about two or three years. It was this, those were the worst jobs. Oh, yeah.
0: um,
1: but eventually um, I landed myself. Um, there was an environmental documentary going through that was interviewing my dad, uh, Tom Kultu. They wanted to interview him for this documentary. And I ended up as a, uh, they, he told them instead of like an honorarium, why don't you give my poor telemarketing bastard son <laughs> a, j- a job for a day. And uh, that way he can get some experience on set, which was very nice. It was very kind. And they did, they, they brought me on and I went and we did um did a couple of days of um production assistantness and it was such a small crew and it was easier I think for, to um hire me to drive across country with the equipment than it was to fly it anywhere. So eventually I, I followed them sort of all over the country and for about two years. I did that off and on. It was a production assistant on this documentary called Homeland. Um Four Portraits of Native Action. I don't know if it's available to watch anywhere, anybody's seen it, but like because of them, I got to travel all over the place. I went to Maine, I went to New Mexico and to um, uh, like Montana for the first time, all this stuff. <clears throat> um, and from there you know, the whole time I was doing all this stuff, I was writing and teaching myself how to write. Like I always wanted to like tell stories and screenwrite. And so it was just, you know, like I said, the internet was sort of like new, it was kind of in its infancy, but at the very least you had like tutorials still. And, you know, this is how you format screenplays and whatever. So I just sort of taught myself. It was really raw and I could not afford any professional software to do it, but I did it all in Word. And so I wrote myself, eventually I wrote myself a script. And if you think of, Screenplays equate to screen time at about a page per minute. Um, the first script that I had ever written was something like two hundred some odd pages, like one hundred and eighty pages. It was terrible, um, but it was something I wrote. I had something. I had something that was that I had made that I produced. Sent it around to different places. Like I you know, sent it in the mail to different all these different spots, and nobody picked it up um I just kept hearing no like I was looking for like representation I sent it to agencies sent it to whatever and uh, nobody was interested in talking to me about any of this stuff this random thing that I had written some random kid from Minnesota had like scrawled out this three hour long I mean it was just seriously about me and my friends like growing up in Bemidji so one of those too. is the other thing it was like this autobiographical like nobody's trying to read this except one person did a dude named John Davis down in um he was a helping to run this program out of the Institute of American Indian arts. And eventually he was, you know, I mean, he was the poet laureate of Santa Fe for a minute. He's um, an incredible writer in and of himself, but he was working at the Institute of American Indian arts and brought me out in 2004 to be a part of this inaugural program that they had had through ABC and Disney um, about, it was a summer film and television workshops, six weeks, 12, 10, 12 people. And we just got to make short films. That's all we did. Now, of course, it was in the inaugural year, so there was no money. So we all just, like, pitched in together and, like, made stuff together. But it was a very cool community thing to do. And from there, I made a short film. And that short film was, you know, vampires and serial killers and whatever else. It was just a craziness. Um, and uh, some people from ABC and Disney, because they sponsored the program, saw it. And they brought me into actually, like, full-on train as a part of their um, television and film writing workshop or their, their writing program. It lasted a year. Um, they put me up in LA for a while, like gave me money and they basically groomed me like a racehorse except for writing instead of racing. So it was like, they, they sent me to like different um, different shows. I got to get like actual on set experience, just being, you know, just watching people going to sets. Um, they like paid for me to go to Bob McKee's seminars and stuff and like do all this, like, you know, all this like randomness um and uh through there i got to like actually that's where i learned to to actually like proper write um and that's where i got on i got staffed on on alias so what's funny about that is that actually a lot of people had uh, jump ship from alias to like lost or to other things and i left went a different route i hooked up with like the sundance film institute crowd went through the native program there, the producer's lab and the screenwriting stuff there. Um, but that's where I met like Sterling and Taika and, um, basically just like, you know, we all like people that we continue to work together with today, like black horse low and Sydney Freeland and all of these people that are now like doing like res dogs and Rutherford falls or, you know, the Marvel's echo, whatever else, all the like native people that are like working today. Like a lot of us like met around that time, like just started doing, you know, just supporting each other then. Um, It was cool. That's where I met fucking Jeff Barnaby, you know, rest in peace. All these like, all these like little things. Like I just continued doing short films through Sundance and through, um, you know, the program in New Mexico. And I just sort of like, sort of did that for a while. And I was getting um, different, what they call open writing assignments, OWAs, which are like people, basically it's like a producer who has an idea or a property. And they're like, hey, we want you to write this. But everything I got was either a little too cheesy and chiefy, um, and a little too weird, um, like not not good. Like I, I, I don't want to say specifically exactly like what some of these ideas were because some of these people are still working and doing stuff now today. I don't want to embarrass them, but they suffice it to say, none of these none of these ideas were that great. I tried to execute them to the best of my ability, but they were never that. They never got off the ground for good reason. Um, and so, and then if they weren't that though, if they weren't like cheesy and sort of like whatever, they were incredibly depressing, (laughs) They were like poverty porn types. (laughs) So it was like, you know, um, these were sort of the opportunities that we had. And I found myself in a position where I was back home in Minnesota, um, staying like in my mom's basement for a couple of months. Essentially. I was just like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do next. Um, but, uh that was my brother happened to also be home visiting. So me and Dallas were hanging out and we had a little flip camera, like the little crappy, whatever. And um, we're like, whatever, let's just keep making like little, little silly videos together. So we started making videos to make ourselves and our family laugh. And we sent them around um, some of which still exist. Some of them don't. Um, but Sterling hit me up at one point and was like, dude, what is, what did, what are you doing in minnesota and i'm like oh man i'm really depressed i don't know what i'm gonna do career-wise blah blah he's like I don't, I don't i don't care he's like what is this what is the content you're making he's like somebody's sending me videos like i saw a video of you doing some stuff basically I was dancing dancer in my underwear and uh he's like and they're funny and he's like we're making he's like me and my buddy he had ryan Redcorn and sterling had just made his second feature uh, barking water and he's like me and my buddy Ryan are making videos down here and stuff. Like we should team up. Let's do some stuff together. And I was like, all right, man, sounds fun. So Dallas and Ryan knew each other because of uh, language revitalization work, you know, Dallas with Dakota language and Ryan with Osage uh, gibberish. And, (laughs) and we met in Minneapolis when Stone was uh, screening uh, Barking Water um, at the Guthrie maybe. Does that sound right? No, with a walker? With the walker. Anyway, hmm. whatever. He was screening it there. And uh, he was screening it in Minneapolis. And we all got together. Got ourselves in Taco Bell. Sat around. Tried to figure out what we were going to do. And we ended up making a video called The New Moon Wolfpack Auditions. And um, we needed a place to shoot it. Um, you know, Ryan and Bobby had sort of known each other before. Dallas and Bobby Wilson had known each other from other things. Anyway we all sort of knew each other and Bobby, I think was working at, in little earth and he had like keys and access to an office space that we sort of took over. There was like a church group meeting next door. And, uh, but we were all like in our chonies, like dancing around together, <laughs> like making ourselves laugh. <laughs> and we just kept making videos and the, the fortunate ones was sort of born. Um, that was really, that was a fun, really random, like a creative time. That was just like, we spent a whole bunch of time just like, nobody, there were no producers overlooking, uh, like looking over our shoulder. There's nobody telling us that things aren't Indian enough or they have ideas that are sort of crap or nobody wanted us to play into poverty porn. We just made whatever we wanted to make. And it was sort of the most punk rock thing ever. And eventually people were like, do you do live shows? And we're like, fuck yeah, if you're going to pay us. And then, you know, well, we did, We ended up doing a thing where people were, um, some, some folks from the Oregon Shakespeare festival, came to see a show of ours and they were like, do you write plays? And we're like, Fuck, yeah, if you're going to pay us, <laughs> we <laughs> wrote our play together. Um, but while we were doing all that, while we're doing touring around and, you know, writing our play and everything, it's sort of like the landscape of TV had changed and streaming was a thing. And suddenly like the whole world, had sort of shifted. And Sterling was getting some really cool opportunities. Like he had in the meantime, made Miko and this may be the last time and a few other things. And I was like, man, I really want to write, for something bigger again. Um, but I haven't written anything on that scale in a long time. So I should, to do that, I was like, I should go back to school. And the Institute of American Indian Arts is, is running, and currently continues to run the um, their low residency MFA program. And with like my previous credits and everything, I had to make a bunch of appeals to, to the school board and to the dean and whatever else to be like, look, I, so listen, I don't have a bachelor's degree, <laughs> but this is all the experience that I have doing all this stuff and um, would love to, to come into this MFA program and I can help mentor and do whatever else to, to sort of earn my keep, as it were. So anyway, I got my, um, took a couple of years, got my MFA and out of that met some incredible people, reconnected with other incredible people. And uh, my buddy, um, David Troyer, who I grew up basically with him as like an older brother. Um, and he's, you know, historian, author, incredible writer himself, whatever. But he was doing, he had somebody asking if he wanted to write on a TV show and he did not have time at the time, which is the best thing in the world for me because I had time. And he was like, what would you be interested in doing this? And I said, yeah, man. And that ended up being this TV show called Barkskins. This was in 2018. Um and writing on that show and helping produce that show, and then, you know, being a part of the entire production took me through 2019. And at the end of 2019, as we were sitting there for the closing of our play or the opening of our, well, I don't know one of these times, Sterling's like, hey man, I think I got a TV show called Reservation Dogs. And that was sort of like the rest of this history, the last few years have been sort of that. And we're, you know obviously working on my other stuff on a couple of the TV shows. But yeah, it's been a it's been a weird, wild, up and down career, um, full of just sticking it out more than anything else, trying to trying to continue to work, trying to hone talent and do all that stuff. But realistically, everything that I've gotten is because I've um, continued to surround myself with like incredible people, and I've just like continued working, stuck it out.
0: That's
1: so yeah, that's where there's the uh, there's the answer to that question question three of your five <laughs> it's a very very long answer
0: no yeah. it's a great answer I, I, the long the long always the best um it so there when i, I used to live in uh, san francisco and oh, right on. um one night uh me and a buddy we were sort of just about town and we came up upon um this restaurant called uh, cafe Zotrope and it's uh, owned by um francis ford coppola sure and he he was outside he was eating uh, on the on the sidewalk there and my buddy um was was coaxing he's like you got to talk to him you got to talk to him because at the time i was really interested in film and i was studying uh storyboarding and um he finally sort of just forced my hand we walked over and we started talking to mr coppola and he was super nice just um he was uh I, i forget what the question i asked um but he talked for probably 10, 15 minutes. I mean, we were there for quite a while and I was I was kind of in awe that I was standing in front of this guy. But the the thing I remember him saying was that if if I want to be successful in whatever pursuits, to surround yourself with like minded people that are going for the same thing. And so your story, I mean this reflects perfectly what he was saying, you know, finding those right people and trying to figure it out together.
1: For sure. Yeah, I mean that's it's been um, it's been interesting, man, because I, I, there are, there are times where definitely I could have, you know, um, I don't know. I feel like have been totally justified in just like turning in, you know, calling it quits and just being like, nah, man, I think I'm good. But, you know, especially working in the arts, it's an incredibly difficult and often thankless and it's never as rewarding in the way that you hope, meaning financially <laughs> as you want it to be. Um. But every once in a while you get you get to do something really amazing and that's sort of like and also it's that old like adage of like look i can't imagine not writing i cannot imagine not just throwing if, if i get twitchy if i'm not doing it mm-hmm. so like i get i get really weird and sort of like nah, if i'm not if i'm not writing so you know um part of it is not having a choice in in giving up but like um a part of it is that you just, you also, you sort of know, I think the people that stick it out are the people that just love it, that love to do what they do, that love, they can't see the world any other way than their the way that they see it artistically. So like, you know, it, 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 it kind of goes hand in hand. You have to be, um, you know, kind of endlessly optimistic, not necessarily about the fact that you're ever going to be successful, um, but more about like, I just, just can't see a world where my my art isn't being told so that's yeah um yeah I I can't imagine giving up on it honestly um but yeah then but then the other thing is that I was really lucky to be surrounded by and doing the stuff that I wanted to do with the people that I wanted to do the stuff with like you know Sterling Harjo Ryan Redcorn I mean Dallas Goldtooth because he has to and uh, Bobby Wilson are my my brothers forever like that's not they are I'm lucky also that they are intensely good human beings you know they are very very good people and like that's really rare but I don't know it's um it's nice it's kind of like I don't know it's just like having working and doing the stuff that you love to do but with you know this weird, funky family <laughs> that we created ourselves. So, yeah, very lucky.
0: So opportunities present themselves um, in different ways over the course of our careers. Uh, how have opportunities uh, presented themselves to you and how are they presenting themselves to you now as opposed to early on in your career?
1: Um, That's interesting, man. So I got, you know, I had... Um, weird level of success early on. Like, so, I mean, I, like I said, the first one that I talked about was like my dad helping hook me up with like, you know, it is the grunt work of the grunt work of all time. Like being a production assistant on a, on a show is often thankless often overlooked job that people do, but I recommend that everybody does it because it's a very, very tough job. Um, And that, that came about because my, my dad was being interviewed and he asked, he was like, Hey, you know, like I said, put my, my weird son on your that wants to do movies on your set. Um, and these people sort of helped me do that. Uh, it's always been opportunities are just somebody being brave enough to like take a chance on somebody else. Like I I think oftentimes that's really all it is. And it's like, I've had really great people, um, take chances on me and, for the most part, not always, not forever, but for the most part, I haven't let them down. <laughs> so when you when you when you do that, um, when you follow through, especially like in the arts, I mean, part of I think part of what keeps people successful, it keeps people going, is you know, um, sort of not being an asshole first, and when you're, but also being able to just like under promise and over deliver. That's where, and a lot of my opportunities sort of come from that. Like I, I, I'm like, all right, look, I'm going to do what I can. And it might not be, you know, I'll like, so for example, I have this thing coming up. That's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I owe them like a draft for a thing. Like one draft. What they don't know is that I've, you know, and I, I owed it by, I owe it by a specific time. And what they don't know is that I already have that done, <laughs> I'm just working with them while I tweak it. So, like, that's part of it. But the other part is, like, I have been lucky enough, as I said, to be surrounded by um, like good people but decent human beings. And I know that if an opportunity comes from them, that it's a good one with other good people, that there's like a you know, branching out but all from the same tree of like very good human beings. And those opportunities came from me being at my best self. So a lot of <clears throat> a lot of the opportunities that I have now as opposed to when I was younger. When I was younger, people were just taking a chance on a kid who showed a little promise, which is great. And a little bit of, you know, hopefully a little bit of talent at the time. And that was fine. But I also sort of was just like, you know, like I said, I was in my early twenties and there were there were times where I definitely was just like resting on my laurels, being like I got the job and then was sort of like, I don't know, I'm just going to go play some video games, watch some movies and do whatever. And I didn't do as much of the work as I needed to do, or the, the work wasn't at the quality that, you know, I had promised. Nowadays, um, I've had to, as an older human being, <laughs> uh, hopefully not old yet, but as an older human being, as a more mature human being, I've had to be in a position where I've been like, look, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get my MFA. I can show that I can do these things, that I can go through the steps that it takes to like create the things that I need to create and to show the people that I want to work with that I am an investment worth making. And so since, you know, um, early 2010s, like my, my, my life and focus has really been about that, about being like, let me deliver on what I promise, over deliver if I can not always going to do that, but like at least deliver on what I promise and try to work with just like the best human beings that I, that I know that I can, if I get, you know, a whiff of something funky from somebody, then I'm just like, that's not a person that I have to associate with. And that's, I think that's a valuable sort of thing. in, in this business in, in Hollywood in particular, it's like, you know, there are a lot of people out there that are in this sort of for a weird glory. And the people that I am now surrounded with in this career are people who love to tell stories and want to tell them well, and who want to see not just themselves, but all of the people that they love succeed in this crazy game. So um, all of that is like, you know, that's the, that's sort of like all of my opportunities come from that. And they, it is definitely a result of me humbling myself out, going back to school, reconnecting with people that I know, that I love, that I trust and all of that stuff. Like the, the opportunity came from my buddy, Dave Troyer, to go and work on Barkskins. He had tossed me opportunities over the course of my life before, none of which I'd either been in a position to like take him up on or had the drive to make those happen. But this, he handed me this and he, to his credit, never stopped asking like what I was doing, if I was busy, Whatever. just asked he's like are you interested in doing this and it hit me at a time where i was like i'm ready to take this on and i went and helped produce this massive show in canada no we didn't get a season two which sucks but it was a really fun show that i'm incredibly proud of so like you know that was all of that is to say like you know it the opportunities that have come at this point in my life at this point in my career have come from me purposefully being a more solid and sort of mature human being than I was as like younger men. And I know that they are, they're good opportunities, not just for me, but like for, you know, friends, family, my life. So,
0: yeah. So what would you say to the 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this conversation? (laughs)
1: 18, 22 year old, Um, 18, 22 year old me. I don't know if I would be listening to myself. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, I mean, you know, Um, I don't know a lot of interesting people that got success very young. And if they did, you know, didn't go through, didn't go through the, um, the life lessons of falling on your fucking face. The most interesting and the best people that I know are people that have gotten success later in life. Like, I mean, I'm talking like from like mid thirties on. Now I know a lot of people that have gotten success when they were in their twenties and stuff and squandered it and fucked up and just became terrible human beings, but then got better and became better people. And those are, those are the most interesting people. Um, But you know, if I think if there is, so like, I used to have stats in my head when I was like in my late teens or the twenties about like, Orson Welles did Citizen Kane when he was like, you know, 26 or you know, fucker, 24, you know, whatever the hell. It was. I don't even have it anymore because I don't care that much anymore. <laughs> but it's like, you know, or whatever, you know, Kubrick made fucking killer's kiss when he was such and such age or whatever. So it's like, those are things that like used to stick in my head. And I used to feel, I, I think when you're at that age, 18, 22, Jesus Christ, <laughs> you, the whole world seems like it's going way too fast and that you are you want to do everything right now but there's like the the biggest thing i would say to anybody that's that age and that's trying to figure out there's no fucking rush everything is like you know the the most important thing is to especially i mean working in the arts is what i can speak i can speak confidently to because that's what i do i mean i don't know if you want to go into a different field there's probably somebody else with better advice than mine but for for the arts there's absolutely no fucking rush. And the most important thing is to hone your voice, to figure out who you are, what you're trying to say, and how best to say it. What's your favorite medium? What's the way in which, what is the most important way for you to get your your voice and your message across? Um, we had a, <clears throat> a friend named Shan Goshorn, who's a basket maker, a Cherokee woman, she's fucking fantastic human being probably one of the best people I've ever met in my entire life and she um once told me that art and she related this to storytelling and whatever else too but art is the not to get all chiefy on it after I talked all the shit about being chief but like she said art is the um is the spirit trying to express itself somehow you know not your spirit not your soul um but like the spirit you know the fucking whatever (laughs) the great spirit i guess um uh, the gitchiest of spirits uh trying to be uh trying to express itself if there's a story like you are and you are as a human being as a person you are a conduit to that voice that's not that's it the art isn't coming from you you got to put you put your ego aside and understand that it comes from somewhere else somewhere sort of intangible um and that you are a translator and that what you get to do, you have the honor of being able to like bring your art into the world. And so all you got to do is step aside and make it happen. Just do it. Just do the work. Um, and the way you do that is you just keep doing it and doing it. Do it and just keep listening to that voice inside yourself. It's just like, this is the way I see the world. This is the way that it's, I'm, I, I am trying to express this. And if you don't, it's going to express itself somewhere else. Somebody else is going to have the same idea or the same, whatever. It'll go somewhere else. So it's up to you to like create it. No, it takes doing. A lot of people, I think, you know, they get some success early on or they have some talent and they think like, oh, it's got to happen now. It's got to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, nope, it takes doing. You have to practice. You have to practice and you have to allow yourself to be bad at it for a while before you can be good. I still feel like I'm just starting to understand screenwriting. <laughs> um, probably probably don't, probably don't yet. But it's it's a thing. It's always a process. So I'm like, I don't, Um, I think the biggest sort of advice is just like be patient put your fucking ego aside you know you can have ego about something else become a really good pool player or something I don't know but like when it comes to art there is really no room for ego because you'll you might have some success and maybe it'll be great but it's eventually the more you think that that's you the less you it actually becomes which is a weird sort of like thing I mean look at Kanye (laughs) 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 <laughs> the more the more he tried to say that that was all him the more he like you know reveled in his own genius the, the worse his shit got yeah and it's just like that's 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 anybody it's just like you put your fucking ego aside humble out do the work and um just be patient there's nothing there's just no rush to any of this stuff so like i said that's for the arts if it's for you know you want to be a dentist probably probably to school or whatever but <laughs> i don't know <laughs> clock's ticking but <laughs> but for the arts it's just you know just takes practice right. practice and time right on yeah.
0: so what do you have going on right now
1: um so i got you know a number of things uh, there's not much that i can really not in a big like ooh, i'm working on some scary marvel thing but li- literally part of like being cagey about it is like you know I'm working on something right now but it may all fall through and I don't want to be like an asshole that's like hey man you talked about this thing on podcast like a couple years back What happened to them like oh yeah it just didn't work out so like what I can say is that I'm working on a couple of features and a few tv shows um, possibly a play and an animated thing so those those things are like it's a lot but it's um, it's a really exciting time right now Um, reservation dogs sterling have opened up the fucking world to me and i'm just sort of like trying not to bite off more than i can chew and i'm just like doing the work so um so right now you know we'll see you know i got i got some things i'm plotting with um sort of like the furthest along is like a comic book adaptation that i'm trying to work on and that's may or may not may or may not go sometime in the coming year at least in terms of writing the pilot um, I've written a feature that I want Black Horse to direct, and we're just raising money for it now. Um, and it's just this crazy action thing. Um, yeah, so it's like, it's stuff like that. It's just like it's a lot of things percolating, a lot of things like, you know, and the way that this business works, so like people will be really interested in something and then sort of interest can fade. Or then, you know, people are really interested in something and then it'll go a little ways and then you you know, you do some of the work on that. So right now I'm like, I don't know. I, I just got, I also... Before we went into the Res Dog season three writer's room, I was a part of a writer's room called uh, Government Cheese on Apple TV Plus, which is really great. I'm excited for that to come out Um, with some people that are like basically heroes of mine. It's a director named Paul Hunter and showrunner Ayesha Carr. They're amazing human beings. It was a small room, but an incredibly talented room. So it was like there wasn't a day where I was sitting in the writer's room wondering like, you know, looking around going like, what the fuck am I doing here? (laughs) Uh, So like, you know, I don't know a lot of like cool stuff. Uh, Eventually I think what I'm hoping is like, you know, people are watching
0: something and then they'll go, Oh shit,
1: man. I know that name. It's an Ojibwe ass word. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: yeah. So where um, you mentioned Apple TV, Uh, where can uh, the listener finds find your work?
1: Oh, right now. So yeah, I don't know when that's, that's going into production sometime this spring. So that probably won't be till later on this year. That's on Apple TV plus called government cheese. Um, Res dogs will be sometime this fall. Res Dogs season three. And that's on Hulu. Uh, Go seek it out. Bark skins. I don't know. You got to buy it. I think right now it's not available to like stream, but you can find it on like on Apple or whatever else. Um, And for better or worse, if you want to see me dancing around half naked, 1491 stuff is always on YouTube. Shit's crazy. We'll also, we also have a play uh called Between Two Knees that's at Seattle Rep, and that'll be at Seattle Rep for the next coming month. This is that's the month of March 2023. Um, but then there's uh, also hopefully we'll be premiering that in other places that I can't quite say yet. But you know, keep an eye on Between Two Knees. It's a play cool, by uh, the 1491s, it's insane
0: yeah we'll um as word comes out we'll we'll put it out there too so yeah okay i appreciate you Megidzi, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast this was really great sounds good oh, Yeah. and that does it for this episode of five playing questions i want to thank Megidzi again for his time and sharing his story with us one thing i i don't uh talk about that much, although uh, I think my brother Eric really knows this, is that I have a massive love for the Marx Brothers. He and I, we watched a series of movies with uh, his parents, my uncle Lars, and my aunt Julie, and our cousin Brian, uh, back in 2001. I think T- TCM had this uh, this marathon of Marx Brothers movies, and I've never laughed so hard in my life. And since that time, I have just absolutely been in love with the comedy of the Marx Brothers. And like McKinsey, I just They are number one, and everyone else is secondary, to be honest. So I really appreciate the conversation, the fact that he enjoys that as much as, as much as I do. I think he is an example, and his crew is an example, of what Mr. Coppola had told me once about finding your people, finding your crew to do creative things with. And it's, it's such a joy that this group has gotten together all those years ago and you know, worked towards that larger goal to, to just find a space in comedy and storytelling and it's it's absolutely paying off and we are the benefactors for their hard work and that's not a lost on me so uh, McGizzy thank you so much for this conversation and sharing your experiences with us this this was really really a big treat before I go I, I want to direct your attention to uh, the Writers Guild Skill strikes that are going on right now. And I really think that we need to be supporting them, these people that are doing such great work and hard work, but that are not being supported by the studios. And so I would just direct you to going to the WGA Contract 2023.org backslash strike dash hub and check out uh, that website and see how you can support them. They're doing a lot of really good hard work and they need our backs. So Uh, Just go check them out and um, see what you can do to help them out. I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So please, join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on the Facebook page, on the Instagram page, at 5 Plane Questions Podcast, or at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, past videos, and these podcasts. So, if there's a suggestion for someone that you want me to interview, uh, let me know. Message me. I'd really like to hear from you. Well, that's it. Uh, Thank you, Has been an Eleven Wardy Arts production.